Good morning. My, um, my last assignment when I was in the Air Force was um, at uh, Embry-Riddle Aeronautical University in Prescott, Arizona. I was, my official title was Associate Professor of Aerospace Studies. It was ROTC is what it was. My job was to uh, help train the, the next generation of, of Air Force leaders, Air Force officers. And um, it was kind of an interesting assignment because my other assignments had always been on Air Force bases where you're, you're surrounded by you know, the sound of, of aircraft coming in, taking off, surrounded by people in, in uniforms. You know, you just, you just have that, that feeling of this is the military. But... Being, being at a university like that as, as an Air Force officer, you know, it's kind of like being at an outpost. And uh, our, our commander, Colonel Hopewell, always made it very clear that uh, we were to really watch ourselves, watch our behaviors, you know, represent the, the Air Force well. And uh, yeah, in the summer when the, uh, when the students were all gone, we, we even had a special uniform. It was Dockers and a uh, polo shirt, you know, so you really kind of got that that feeling that uh, you're kind of in between worlds in in a way. Well, Colonel Hopewell always made sure that we were aware that we should not uh, go native, as as he called it. And so I I think I might have even mentioned this once before, uh, the, the theme of one of the sermons when we went through First Peter was how we are uh, resident aliens in this world. This, this world is not our home. This world is not our home. And uh, yeah, as children of God, sometimes I think we can be in that same situation where we feel like we've got one foot in each world on earth and in heaven. But, you know, Jesus makes it very clear that our citizenship is, is in heaven. His kingdom is, is not of this world, he, he says. And, uh, you know, I think that many times we, we forget that and, and we don't live in that reality. Well, our text today is Mark twelve thirteen through 27, and we're going to uh, look at uh, two more instances of the uh, religious leaders trying to uh, trap Jesus, trying to, trying to set a snare for him, come up with. And, uh, you know, these, these very clever people, they have come up with a couple questions to, to try to trip him up. Well, read with me, starting with verse 13 in Mark chapter 12. Mark twelve thirteen. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anybody's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. Then they brought him one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. 
Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. And the Sadducees came to him who say there is no resurrection. And they asked him a question saying, teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but leaves no child, the man must take a widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Well, there were seven brothers, and the first took a wife, and he died and left no offspring. And the second took her and died, leaving no offspring. And the third likewise, and the seven left no offspring. Last of all, the woman also died in the resurrection when they rise again. Whose wife will she be? For the seven had her as wife. And Jesus said to him, Is this not the reason you are wrong, because you know neither the Scriptures nor the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob? He's not a God of the dead, but of the living. You are quite wrong Let's, let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you uh, just shine your, your light on, on the word, on your word that you have for us this morning. Uh, teach us and change us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, the, uh, the they who are, are testing him are the ones that were testing him earlier. You know, the, the priest and the scribes and the elders and, you know, asking him by, by whose authority he was doing this. Remember that? You know, they, they had been unable to trap him then and now they're trying again and they, you know, they, they bring in some others, the, the Herodians. Now, the Herodians were, were sympathizers with the, uh, with the Roman government. So, you know, they, they represented the, the political side of things. So we have the uh, the religious people here. We've got the uh, political people here all trying to to entrap him. Uh you know, normally the the Herodians and the uh, the Pharisees did not get along. You know, they were they tended to be at odds with each other, but yeah, they're working together here. They they ally themselves unifying to entrap Jesus. You know, sometimes uh, having a common enemy can can cause people to to come together at least for a while. Well, you know we've we've already seen uh, in in chapter three this alliance where it said you know the Pharisees went out immediately they held counsel with the Herodians against him to destroy him. You know so we know their motives. Jesus knew their motives. You know Jesus Jesus saw them knew their hearts. But anyway, we have this unlikely alliance of, of religious and political people trying to bring Jesus down with, with their questions. Yeah, they're trying to, trying to trap him in, in his answer. And um, so, yeah, we've got these two incidents. You know, we've got, um, we've got these people trying to entrap Jesus about paying tax. And then we've got people trying to entrap Jesus on uh, issues of, of marriage and 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 the afterlife, you know, and how do we how do these relate to each other? Uh, you know, they, 
first of all, you know, they're, they're, they're both different people trying to, uh, trying to trick Jesus. But what, what idea really stands out? You know, both, both deal with uh, the contrast between the world we live in and the kingdom of God. I think that's, that's where these, these, two, these two incidents uh, come together. You know, both, both encounters show us how to um, look beyond what is uh, right in front of us. Both require us to realize that, that we are of the world. No, I said that wrong. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. We are in the world, but not of the world. We, we need to have an eternal perspective. We need to have a, a heavenly view. You know, Paul talks about that, you know, that our minds should be in the heavenly places rather than on earth. So, first of all, our, our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. And, uh, you know, it's, it's easy to forget this. You know, I, I wake up every day in a bed, which is in a house, in a city, which is ruled by a government, a city government. I, this city is in a state which is ruled by a government. Our state is within a, a nation which is ruled by a government. I've, I've lived my whole life in this world my whole life, and so have you. You know, and, you know. When, it, when sometimes when I when I look around, it's it's easy to see that something's not right in this world. Things are broken. You know, things just don't seem right. There's there's sin. There's there's hunger. There's there's poverty. There's sickness. There's there's ungodliness. Uh, you know, I've. I've shared workplaces with people who really seem to have very little purpose in life. You know, they, they seem to be working five days so that they can enjoy their weekends. Uh, yeah, as, as the Apostle Paul says, you know, these are, these are people who don't have hope. They don't have God in their lives. But they, they seem to be quite at home here on, the, on this earth. And... Uh, we just need to keep reminding ourselves this world is is not my home. There's there's a song called that. You've probably heard that. This world is not my home. Yeah, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can feel at home in this world no more. Now there's a couple different extremes we can we can go to, and and uh, we we've seen both of these extremes throughout history. You know, one one extreme attempts to mold the world into a religious mold. You know, it's it's an activist mindset. It it seeks to uh, create a Christian government from non Christians. <clears throat> you know, it's it's essentially in uh, an effort to create God's kingdom on earth. We've, you know, we, we can look back at the history over the last couple thousand years. You know, the, uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church, that's exactly what they tried to do, create God's kingdom on earth. Remember when Jesus went to Pilate, uh, John eighteen thirty six. He he said very clearly, my kingdom is not of this world. <clears throat> If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from this world. 
And, uh, you know, maybe this is a principle that uh, sometimes we, we forget. You know, if our, if our concern for building a kingdom on this world, if that's our focus, we've, we've taken focus off from the, the king whose kingdom is not of this world. What's the result? Jesus said, my servants will fight. They'll fight uh, the government on Jesus' behalf. Jesus said, by the way he said this, that's, that's not what we do. That's not what my servants do. The kingdom of God is not of this world. And um, <clears throat> you know, the prophet Isaiah helps to keep things in perspective. Uh, Isaiah forty fifteen, And maybe you've heard this. It says, behold, the nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Let's look at our, our text with, with this in mind. You know, the, uh, the Pharisees and the Herodians came to Jesus and they asked, is it lawful to pay taxes to a civil government? Is it, is it lawful? Should we be paying our taxes to Caesar? And they, they thought they've got him here. They're, they're very clever. You know, if he, if he says, yes, uh, we pay the taxes, then Jesus is taking sides with this, this oppressive regime. Uh, you know, the, uh, there, there was a party called the Zealots who were formed over this very issue of, of poll tax. They knew that uh, the Zealots and many other Jews would be very angry at Jesus if he said yes. On the other hand, you know, the government would slam him if he said no. They could say, well, look, look what this guy's doing. He's, he's rebelling against the government, you know, and these leaders are trying to force Jesus into a uh, position of making an impossible choice. You know, do they, do, do we choose, does he choose allegiance to God or to the ruling government authorities? Now, of course, Jesus knows their hearts and he doesn't take the bait. Um, You don't choose one way or the other. We are told to submit to the government and to submit to God. You know, it's not it's not an either or, which is is the proposition they they put before him. You know, God is God has placed us here. He's placed us in the world. We we live here. He makes it clear though that we're not of the world. In uh, John seventeen fourteen through eighteen, Jesus. Praise to the Father concerning the disciples. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them from the world, but that you may keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. He's saying, we're, we're not of the world, but he wants us here. You know, the title of this sermon is, The World is Not, our, is not My Home, But I Live Here. And that's the, uh, the, the, the tension that, that we live under. Now, that's one extreme. We can err on the opposite extreme. We can, we can isolate ourselves. We can, 
we can pull out of the world. We can refuse to, uh, to participate in society. And there have been people who, who've done that. You know, we're, we're in the world. We're not of the world, but we're, we've been sent here for a purpose, just as Jesus was. Um, you know, one example of this escapism is, was, was the, uh, the monastic movement where monks went to monasteries and, and pretty much isolated themselves from, from the world. You know, they formed a tight little community and, and ignored the, the rest of the world. Uh, there, there are religious communities where the whole community has, has uh, tended to do this. But, you know, as, as with so many things, we, we need to find a balance. You know, extremes are, are usually not good. So what did, what did Jesus mean when he said, give Caesar what belongs to Caesar? You know, first he was saying, don't refuse to pay your taxes. You know, he, Jesus did not come to start a rebellion against the government. And I'm afraid that uh, many, many of the Jews expected him to do just that. You know, they expected him to come riding in on a white steed and conquer the Roman government. He came in on a, on a donkey, though, in peace. You know, he didn't come to start a rebellion. You know, the image of Caesar was on the coin that they showed him. It's Caesar's domain. He's the one who issued this money. You know, he's responsible for its distribution, for its use. Um, and it's for the protection and the common good of those who were under his reign. You know, Jesus said the money is Caesar's. And what did he mean when he said, give God what belongs to God? You know, just just as the, the coin was stamped with Caesar's image, we are stamped with God's image. You know, Genesis says he created... He created us, man and woman, in his image. We're stamped with the image of God. You know, he's the rightful owner. Just as the money belonged to Caesar, we belong to God. Jesus says, put, thing, put first things first. Get your priorities straight here. Rather than worrying about taxes, you know, how about concerning yourself with, uh, with spiritual matters? How about concerning yourself with, with God? What's your relationship with the king, the king of kings, the one who created you, the one who who sustains you? You know, give Caesar his due. Do the things he needs to, you know, let him do the things he needs to do as a governing authority. But he's saying we need to give ourselves unreservedly to God. And um, by the way, it's kind of interesting as an aside, the the kind of people who Jesus picked as disciples. You know, we had a tax collector who would have been very despised by, by the Jews. You know, they, they would see him as a collaborator with the Roman government. And yet, who else did we have? We had a zealot. We had a person from that, that zealot party. You know, these, these people naturally would have been at odds. 
We don't, we don't really hear a lot about that, but I imagine behind the scenes they were. You know, I imagine Jesus had a lot of work to do with developing their, their character. Yeah, we're ultimately responsible to God. We're his. You know, that's, that's the big thing. But he desires us to, to live in peace in this world, which is not our home. That's why, uh, that's why we're told to pray for the government leaders, right? First Timothy, Paul, first Timothy 2, 1 through 4, Paul says, he says, first of all, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving, thanksgivings be made for all people. For kings and all those in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know, Paul is saying that as we live on earth, we need to live at, in, live at peace with people to be a good witness. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this earth. If it was, my disciples would be fighting for this earthly kingdom. You know, combining these, this, this is saying that we are not to be a, a belligerent fighting people, but we're to be people of, of witness, you know, of, of the peace of God. You know, and though we're, uh, we're exiles and strangers on earth, we, we live here. It's for that very purpose. It's, you know, while we're here, we need to be good stewards. We need to be good citizens. I like what um, Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7 says. You know, God's giving instructions to his people who are exiled in Babylon. You know, we, we talked a lot about this when we went through uh, Ezra and Nehemiah. You know, rather than withdrawing into their into themselves, turning inward, God tells them tells them how to live while they're in exile, how how they're supposed to live in Babylon. Uh, I think this this applies to our situation as well. Listen to what uh, Jeremiah prophesied to these exiles in in Babylon. This is um, Jeremiah twenty nine four through seven. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This world's not our home, but we are to seek the welfare of our community. You know, we're, we're to be involved. We're, we're not supposed to, uh, to withdraw. We need to keep things in proper perspective, you know, always remembering where our citizenship is. It's in heaven. And, you know, we need to look forward to heaven with the... Uh, realize that with the realization that uh, things will be different there there will be some differences there will be some major improvements in in our lives in the in the second account the second encounter uh 
you know, we have the uh, the Sadducees trying to uh, trick Jesus, trying to entrap him. This time about the resurrection. Now, it says in the in the Bible here that you know something very interesting about the Sadducees. They did not believe in the resurrection. We don't know a lot about them, uh, they, but they were they were the aristocrats. They they had wealth. They did not believe in, in the supernatural. They, they didn't believe the Bible, the scriptures. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in the resurrection. Does that sound familiar? We're surrounded by people like the Sadducees. When I was a kid, I, I learned something. I, I think this was in a, a sermon or a Sunday school lesson that, you know, how do you tell the difference between a Pharisee and a Sadducee? Well, Sadducees were sad, you see. They they didn't believe in any of this. It's a joke. You know what? They believe once you died, that was it. That's it. You are no more. They were uh, they were materialists. There's nothing new under the sun. But notice how polite they are to Jesus. They say, "Teacher." We know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Um, they're, they're correct on all these things, but you kind of get the idea they're not really sincere. Remember uh, Eddie Haskell? Gee, Mrs. Cleaver, you look especially nice today. You know, That's what they remind me of. Of course, Jesus knows their hearts. He he sees right through them. You know, he, he knows their hypocrisy. He knows what they're trying to do. You know, they're 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 bringing him this uh, logical argument. I learned in philosophy, it's called reduction ad absurdum, and it it seeks to disprove a proposition by showing the absurdity to the absurdity which it leads when it's carried to its logical conclusion. So, you know, they, they're, bringing, they're bringing up this hypo, hypothetical situation where on earth a woman has seven husbands, she doesn't bear any children to any of them. You know, whose wife will she be in heaven? And um, I think about some of the people you know. I mean, we, we know plenty of people who've had more than one husband or more than one wife for whatever reason. And, um, you know, there, there has been, uh, this question is something that does come up. Uh, but these, these Sadducees are, are sure that this, this hypothetical question with, with, with utter clarity disproves that there is a resurrection. You know, if, if there was, this would be a, a mess. You know, they, they think they have him here. They said, we got him. He's trapped. But Jesus answers them in a way that's kind of surprising. He says, uh, first, you're sadly mistaken. Why? Because you don't know the scriptures and you don't know the power of God. He tells them when they rise from the dead, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but they're like the angels in heaven. And uh, this is one of those passages that I think has made many uncomfortable. You know, this 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 would not be a passage 
that pastors would normally preach on, on Valentine's Day. What's he saying? You know, this is one of those things that are, are hard question. You know, I, I love my wife. I do. Uh, does this mean that I'm not going to know Chris in in heaven? That we're not going to have any kind of relationship? I don't think so. Um, I was I was looking at a uh, at the focus on the family website. Somebody somebody asked this question. This poor woman. She writes this. She says, "Will I be reunited with my spouse in heaven? He passed away this year, and I've been struggling to adjust to life without him." A friend recently tried to encourage me by saying I I could expect to see my husband again in heaven. But then another friend just as quickly burst my bubble by pointing out that according to Jesus, the relationships we have on on earth won't exist in heaven. Since Since then, I've been extremely disheartened and depressed. What's your perspective on the issue of marriage in the life to come? And, uh, you know, this, this woman is, is phrasing this question in a way that is really different from what Jesus said. You know, he, he did not say that the relationships we have in heaven won't exist, or on earth won't exist in heaven. You know, we need to challenge that. Now, we don't know what our relationships in heaven are going to be like. But, you know, I think they're going to be better they're going to be deeper than than what we have there than what we have here. I think I think Chris and I are going to be closer. Our relationship is going to be unexplainable by any terms we can come up with right now. You know, and I, I believe we can take joy in this. You know, God has the power to create something much better than we can imagine. You know, we will know each other. When uh, when David's infant son died, remember what David said? He said, can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he will not return to me. You know, he David knew he was going to meet his son in, in heaven. He'd be with him. So Jesus said they're badly mistaken. First, they don't know the scriptures well enough to realize the, the reality of resurrection. You know, God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of the living, not of the dead. Second, they don't realize that God has the power to resurrect us, to create an eternity for us, to create a world that's better, so much better, so much better than this one. You know, it's, it goes beyond anything we can imagine. You know, we... we we tend to think of heaven as just a continuation of our, our life on earth. But it's going to be so much better. One of the, one of the commentators in the uh, ESV study Bible has this comment. This teaching, might be a, this teaching might at first seem discouraging to married couples who are deeply in love with each other in this life, but surely... People will know their loved ones in heaven. And the joy and love of close relationships in heaven will be more rather than less than it is on earth. Jesus' reference to the power of God suggests that God is able to establish relationships of even deeper friendship, joy, and love 
in the life to come. God has not revealed anything more about this, though the scripture indicates that the eternal glories awaiting the redeemed will be more splendid than anyone can begin to ask or think. You know, we we need to trust in the, the power and, and the goodness of, of God. You know, our, our deepest and most important relationship is, is with God. And, uh, you know, I, I think the quality of our relationship with God is going to be more amazing than we can imagine. It's going to absolutely amaze us. The Apostle John in 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him, these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. And he also says in Ephesians three twenty through 21, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we can ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So... In closing, we we tend to hold on tightly to the things of this world, the things that we know. But we are exiles. This world is not our home. That we just live here. We're as the song says, we're just passing through. We have so much more to look forward to in eternity. You know, our our view is limited. Our experiences are, are limited. These, these things, you know, the good things that we have, the loving relationships with each other and with God, they're, they're just a shadow of the things to come. And uh, God's desire isn't that we isolate ourselves and just get into a huddle and wait for Jesus' return. It's something we look forward to. It's not... God's will that we fight the government. It's his will that we live within the bounds of government. You know, we, we pay our taxes. We, we perform our, our civil responsibilities. Just as he told the Jews in, in Babylon, seek, you know, seek for the, the success and, and the blessing of the community that you live in and you'll, you'll be blessed. You know, we need to pray for the government leaders. We need to pray for the welfare of our cities and our communities, our our country. And as God blesses these, he'll bless us along with our neighbors. It's his will that we enjoy our our friendships and our, our relationships. You know, we need to work on those. We need to build them in love. And the best and deepest friendship that we have is nothing like the quality of the relationships we're going to have in heaven. I'm convinced of that. You know, the blessings we have now are just a foretaste of what we're going to experience. Let's pray. Uh, Lord God, um,
I just ask that you help us to uh, order our priorities, Lord, that we have a have an eternal perspective, Lord, that we can know clearly how it is you want us to to live while we're on this this earth as resident aliens. Lord, we thank you that uh, you you have put us here, that you have um, handed over your mission to seek and to save that which is lost. Lord, you commanded us as a church to make disciples. Lord, I thank you for sending your son gave his his life for us, taking our sins upon himself. Thank you, Lord, for, for the redemption that is in Jesus. We're we're forever grateful, Lord. And help us, Lord, to, to live each day uh, in, in a way that, that is pleasing to you. You know, lives that are lived for, for your glory and for your pleasure and for your praise. And we, we pray all these things in, in the, the name above all names, Jesus. Amen.